this past uh, Monday, I grabbed the opportunity of a little bit of good weather. It's kind of a not too rainy and uh, not too cold, and they were predicting some bad weather to come. So I thought, I'm going to get out there and weed that flower garden for the last time. Uh, When I look out the kitchen window, I see a flower garden uh, with dandelions and leaves and so on and so I got my work clothes and got the weed bin and uh, the tools out of the shed and as I came out of the shed I looked at the flower garden next to the shed and I said oh my that's worse than the other one and so I got down and got after that one left to themselves flower beds become weed farms. The beauty of a decorative garden only comes from the hand of a diligent gardener. It's not hard for the garden which is our life to become overrun with weeds. When we don't handle the stuff of life in a godly way, we may find our thankfulness being choked out by weeds, especially the weeds of the past. I want to look today at uh, continue as we continue to look at the idea of how do I grow a heart of thanksgiving at this thought that we need to agree with God's assessment of our past if we are going to have a heart of thanksgiving. Let's l- read from Acts chapter 7 about a man who had an incredible past starting in verse 54. Stephen had been preaching, and the people he was preaching to, in verse 54, it says, when they, the people who heard the sermon, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Now, that doesn't mean they bit him. It means they went, ah, in kind of a, there was a cultural way in which they expressed that they didn't like what he was doing. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Now down to verse 9, chapter 9, excuse me. Then Saul 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that is Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was the life of the Apostle Paul before he became a believer. We often read about the incredible spiritual strength and the great things that Paul did. He evangelized the known world, but this is where he started. And in order for him to have a heart of thanksgiving, he had to come to a point where he acknowledged the sins of his past. And to acknowledge the sin of the past is simply to say, I sinned. Obviously, we see right here what Paul had done wrong. He imprisoned people simply for believing in Jesus. And he consented to the murder of at least one man and probably more. The intent of bringing people bound to Jerusalem was to put them on trial and potentially to take their lives. Now, I'm sure there were ways that they used the Old Testament law to justify what they were doing, just like people tried to justify what they did to Jesus. But the guilt of Saul is the same as the guilt of those people who put Jesus to death. Neither Jesus nor the Christians deserve to die by the standard of the Old Testament law. And so here's, here's Stephen preaching his heart out. And, and what's interesting, you know when it says here they were cut to the heart? If you go back to Acts chapter 2, the same phrase is used. When Peter preached, those people were cut to the heart, but what did they do? They said, what should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. And they repented and were baptized. Stephen got up and preached the same message. They were cut to the heart with conviction. And they said, we're going to kill this man and get rid of him. And so they did. And they, they took off, essentially they would take off what we would call their coat or their outer garment so they could really throw those rocks. And they laid their clothes at his feet as the authority who made this okay. The Apostle Paul caused people to be executed for believing in Jesus. We don't talk about him that way very much. We can look around the world today and realize that there are many places in the world, um, various kinds of religious extremists, not just the ones we normally think of, but there are various religious extremists who will go after all kinds of other religions, including Christianity, and they'll go in and burn a church down, or they'll, they'll attack a village, or you know, all kinds of things. Christians are dying all the time. And when we hear those things, we go, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible. But the Apostle Paul did the same thing. And he had to live with that. None of us have done anything like he did. But all of us have some things in our past that we're not proud of. Some of us have done worse than others. Some of us have done things that are illegal, even though only a few of us have been caught. Some have done things that were immoral. Some hurt people that we were in relationship with. There's all kinds of skeletons in our closet but what the Apostle Paul did with his past is what we need to do with our past. 
he admitted what he had done. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. The Apostle Paul never tried to gloss over what he had done. He didn't blame it on those around him. He didn't say, well, you know, I never would have persecuted those Christians except for the high priest and those guys. They were, they were all over me and there was nothing I could do. He didn't minimize it. He didn't say, well, you know, a lot of people get put to death. It's not that big a deal. Now, we would be aghast at talking like that, but the Romans put people to death almost willy-nilly to our way of thinking. I mean, they, they would put people on a cross for all kinds of things. And the Apostle Paul didn't say, well, you know, it was only a few. He didn't try to minimize it, and he didn't excuse it. He didn't say, well, it's, it's no worse than Rome does, it's no worse than this. He didn't do any of that. When we try to avoid responsibility for our sin, we are following the example of our parents, Adam and Eve. When God confronted them about their sin, he, he went to Adam first and he said, Adam, what have you done? And what did Adam say? That woman. We're still saying the same thing, aren't we? And he went to Eve and Eve said, that serpent. God wants us to admit what we have done wrong. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. The Apostle Paul didn't play any games with God. He simply said, I persecuted the church of God. He was straight up about his sin. But it didn't stop there. Because not only do we need to acknowledge the sin of the past, we need to agree with God about our sin. It was wrong. Now, I'm not saying we need to go back into our past and, and, and try to dig up things we've forgotten. I'm speaking about the sins of the past that, that have been forgotten, and somehow they bubble up. And then there are those sins of the past that seem to linger at times. What do we need to do with those sins we need to do what John said. We need to confess our sin because if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And we need to understand that the word confess means to agree with God. Now, agreeing with God about sin means I say this is wrong. It's different from asking for forgiveness. If I had done something wrong to Ruth and said, Ruth, Will you please let me off the hook for what I did? You'd say, well, that's not much of an apology. That's very different from saying, I did wrong. See, we go to God and we think, oh God, please don't hold it against me. Please don't punish me. Please don't discipline me. Please don't chastise me. Did you do wrong? Well, that's a different subject now. You don't understand what's going on in my world. And we wonder why there's no forgiveness. There will be no forgiveness until there is an agreement with God. I did wrong according to the standard of your holy word. The failure to agree with God that sin is wrong is a very significant source of difficulty for the Christian. Listen to the testimony of David and what he went through when he refused or while he was 
while he was working through his sin before he, before he confessed it. He says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man. And the word blessed in the Old Testament means happy. Happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Isn't that an incredible description of probably what we call depression? My bones grew old. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah, or stop and think about that. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. What we've just heard there is we, we've heard a man work through that process of, of, of saying, I, I, I have sinned, but I just don't want to admit it. And the Christian, the believer who stays in sin, receives the hand of God, which is the conviction, the guilt, produced by the Holy Spirit. God does not punish us for sin. He punished Christ on the cross for sin. But he brings guilt to us over sin, so we will confess, and so we will turn and walk in a righteous way. But confession is painful. But it's not as painful as the destruction of sin and guilt. Why why does a man like David struggle to confess his sin? Why does he resist just being open and saying, yes, God, I did wrong. The same reason that we do, because we don't like to admit we're wrong. We don't like to repent and turn. But confession and the freedom that it brings is a blessing. We need to acknowledge our sin, agree with God about it, and agree that our sin has been forgiven Agree that it's been forgiven. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There seems to be an inference in this verse that if we will confess what we know we've done wrong, God understands our heart and he, and he knows every little thing we've done wrong that we might not even have seen and he cleanses us. Now the important part of this verse here is this did god say if you confess your sin i'll think about forgiving you did he say well maybe did he say well okay you confess now let's see how you live for a while no no you don't deserve it david talks again about the forgiveness of the lord here The Lord is merciful. The Lord does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. He's gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us. In other words, there is a limit to God's patience, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He has not punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. 
As a father pities his children or has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. God is not interested in punishing you. He does not desire to bring pain to your life. He does desire to bring righteousness. And so God will bring guilt, so you will confess. And when you confess, he forgives. Some will say, you don't know how bad my sin was. You're right, I don't. But I suspect it was no worse than the Apostle Paul who was guilty of multiple murders. Some might say, you don't know how badly I have failed the Lord. And I would say, I don't. But I don't think it was any worse than Peter's failure that was face to face in the ultimate moment of trial. And like Peter and Paul, we need to, instead of being overcome with with. Uh, with remorse and depression for the things of the past, we need to receive God's forgiveness and then allow that forgiveness to be a motivation for growth. The Apostle Paul never forgot his terrible past, but instead of meditating on it and how bad he was and, and how he could never be anything, he, he, he allowed that forgiveness to motivate him to growth. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, the great chapter on the resurrection, Paul is listing a number of people that Jesus appeared to, and he says, Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. You see that he remembered. He said, I used to persecute the church of God. I wasn't like the rest of those apostles. God, you know, Christ called them and they worked with him. And he died and was buried and resurrected. And they got up and started preaching. He says, here I was out fighting him. I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. The Apostle Paul said, yeah, I was a bad man, but God was gracious and he forgave. And because of that, I am going to serve him. He didn't labor. He didn't serve. He didn't do things to earn forgiveness. He didn't labor so people would see how great he was and then forget about his past. He labored out of thankfulness for his forgiveness. We have a mandate from God to be spiritually productive in our own lives and around us. He wants us to grow in Christ. And depression about our past can easily become an excuse for avoiding what we should be doing in the present. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Every day that I let a weed grow, it gets bigger. And as far as I can tell, the roots of the dandelion must come from hell because they seem to go down to hell. You know, I, I, got, I, I have a couple of those dandelion digging tools. You know, a little thing with a little snake tongue on it. And I'm getting down in there. 
I mean, I bent the tool and the dandelion goes, ha, ha, ha. Every day you let a weed grow, it gets bigger. It puts off seeds. And if you are enough of a slacker, your garden will be covered in dandelions or worse yet, horsehead. Time is not on your side, Christian. You have a limited lifespan. Your time to become like Christ and serve Him is limited. And you should not waste your present crying about your past when god says i forgave you he meant it and we need to say i believe you and i am going to turn now from my past and face my future and say god what do you have for me today and what do you have for me tomorrow and how can i serve you and how can i thank you for what you have done and what you're going to do we have sins in the past but we also have hurts in the past and we've got to deal with those as well if we're going to have a heart of thanksgiving. And I, would, and I would just say from God's word that we have to relinquish the authority to God for past hurts. Listen to what Paul said about a guy who hurt him. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. <laughs> There's a prayer for you. We don't know what Alexander the coppersmith did. We don't know if it was a Christian who was a problem. We don't know if it was an unbeliever who was a problem. We know that Paul suffered because of this man. And what did Paul do? He said, may the Lord repay him. It's the Lord's business. He put it in the Lord's hands. You know, David wrote about his own experience of being betrayed and hurt and, and in that, he also prophesied about Jesus. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about Jesus taking the bread and dipping it in the gravy. And he said, the person that I give this to is going to be betraying me. And he gives it to Judas. And Judas goes out and betrays him. Judas has spent three years with Jesus. You know, I, I think sometimes we look at that and, and think Jesus went, oh, well, whatever. What did Jesus do when he came to Lazarus' tomb? My dad's favorite Bible verse to quote in Sunday school, Jesus wept. He wept. Don't tell me that Jesus didn't have feelings about things that we would call human experience. He did. And when, you know, uh, Jesus looks right at Judas and uh, the way I read it, it's like, really, Judas? You're, you're really going to go do this? After all the opportunity we've had? So the hurt is deep. The Apostle Paul was hurt by many people. First chapter of Philippians, he talks about people who were preaching Christ in order to bring difficulty on his life in prison. Probably people that he, either he or one of his disciples led to Christ to begin with. In the face of sin and hurt against us, we've got to, we've got to follow this path. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live in peace with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Give it to, give it to God 
For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, I have been hurt in many ways while building things. Um, this I'm wearing a Band-Aid today. Uh, I forget what it was. I know it was a little piece of metal went under my fingernail and stabbed me right there and bled. And I have, if you've never noticed, I have one thumb that, that bears the mark of a table saw. It's shorter than the other one. Gave it in the service of the Lord. <laughs> Building the church at Nooksack. Put my fi- hand right on the table saw there. Took, took about, Yeah. <laughs> Jesus wept and so did I, yeah. <laughs> For about six months. <laughs> um, I have been hurt in, in all kinds of ways. You know, I keep a first aid kit in my shop. But I have never stopped working on the projects. I don't curse my tools when I walk by them. I never threw any of my tools away. I never took a hammer to the table saw. And if I did, you'd say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you grow up? Great advice. Hurts happen. But we have to leave them with God and move forward. Thankfulness cannot share the room with bitterness. It cannot. When we're bitter, all we see is us and our hurt and our problems and our difficulties. And, and, and we think, why can't other people see my great difficulty? And we come to church and God in heaven has saved us by his son for all of eternity. And we can't even turn our heart toward him and say thank you. And we can't see what he's done because all we can see is the hurt and the harm and the difficulty inside. We've got to relinquish to God the hurts of our past. It's not, understand, not hard to understand how the sins of the, our own sin, the sins against us, can impede us. But there's, there's something else that can impede our thankfulness. And that is the successes of the past. The success of the past can also impede our thankfulness and we have got to acknowledge those and deal with those in a godly way as well listen to to the impact that paul had on the thessalonians you became followers of us and of the lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the holy spirit so that you became examples to all in macedonia and achaia who believed For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning you what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us. Those people got really saved. That was one of those crazy phrases we like to use. They were... They were really transformed, and it was obvious to everybody, and it was because the Apostle Paul had ministered to them. He had a big impact on them. Listen to what he says. 
we were so affectionately longing for you that we were pleased to impart not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you'd become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. And so the Apostle Paul, in writing back to the Thessalonians, he said, wow, you folks really got saved, and, and you remember how we really worked hard to be a servant to you. And it's right at that point where the Christian that's not careful starts to live in the victory of the past. Oh, boy, those were some great days. Wow. Oh, yeah, you remember this, and you remember this person, and that person, remember those things, and so on. And and you start living in the past so much that the present and the future stops happening. What did the Apostle Paul do? When he looked back and he said, wow, look at the great things that happened. What did he do? And, and Well, in fact, this is how much he took joy in them. What is our joy or crown of rejoicing? It's you in the presence of our Lord Jesus. But when he looked back, he took those successes and gave them up to worship. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. The Apostle Paul didn't take that to himself and think, I'm something great. He took that and said, oh God, thank you for saving these fine people. He allowed it to become worship. The successes of yesterday should form the substance of our praise today. One of our problems in prayer is that we will pray and pray and pray, and when something good happens, that prayer is answered. Sometimes we, all we think about is the next thing that needs to happen rather than saying, wow, God answered prayer. God has done something. Our thankfulness needs to come out of what God has done. So when we look around and, and say, uh, God brought my grandson safely into the world, I praise him for that. Oh, I'll thank the doctor if I ever meet him or her. But I'm going to praise God. When we remember a success, we should remember who empowered that success. If we take the, sex, the, the successes as having started and finished in ourselves, then we become prideful and lazy. If I've done so many great things, then all I need for you is to notice and come pat me on the back. I don't need to keep doing anything. And that's when we've slipped away from thankfulness into self-centeredness. We need to look back and rejoice. Next Sunday night, we're going to have a praise service. I hope you'll come. We'll sing some great worship music. And we will give you an opportunity to look back and say, what has God done this year? How has God blessed you? How has God cared for you? What hard thing has God brought you through? And it'll be a wonderful time to look back and to, and to praise God for those things. But we should never be so focused on the past that we can't turn to the future and say, now God, what do you have for me today? And how would you like to use me today and tomorrow and on? We need to allow God's past blessings to motivate our growth today. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. 
Philippians chapter 3. Familiar verses, but I want to point your attention to them and hope that you'll spend some time meditating on them this week. Philippians 3 verse 10. The Apostle Paul's great aspiration, he said, that I may know Him. And I may know the resurrection, the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death if by any means I may attend to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained. Not that I'm already perfected. Not that I've already done everything I need to do. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many of us as are mature, let us have this mind. Uh, When I was uh, first in the ministry, we had a fella in our church who I found out later had been a member of this church, and then when he retired, he moved over to Everson. I I believe I have the, the, uh, the movement right there. And he was in our church. His name was Barney Dyke. And Barney Dyke was, you know, 100 years old when I met him and 110 when he went to be with the Lord. I don't know how old he was, but uh, I was substantially younger, so he looked substantially older. But Barney was retired. And uh, Barney uh, found the sermons to be somewhat relaxing. And occasionally he would snooze just a little bit. But most of the time he was paying attention. And he was just about the only guy in that whole church that would say amen. And he'd say, amen, like that, you know. And the building was about twice as big as this and he could fill it up. And occasionally he would wake up and maybe say amen at a time when it wasn't the best. But, (laughs) But when Barney would shake your hand... He would use this little phrase from Philippians 3 and he'd say, Are you pressing on, brother? And you know what? Barney was living what he was saying because he used to go to the auction every Wednesday, I believe it was, over in Everson and try to witness to those old farmers over there. That's a tough go. Barney, that that was his ministry. That and provoking the rest of us to be pressing on as well it's easy to get to a point in life and say you know what i've done enough but it's not over till god brings us to heaven if we let the successes of the past somehow dominate our thinking we we will stop being thankful for what god is doing and we'll stop doing things for him our self-evaluation Our self-evaluation must always be focused on the present and the future, not the past. Yesterday's growth doesn't make up for today's lack of it. Rather, yesterday's achievement is the platform for today's growth. We have the opportunity to appreciate the, the, the present time that we're in and to praise God and to serve God but it won't happen if we get stuck on some things in the past. This fellow here, his name is Hiro Onodo, and I may be, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. He was a Japanese soldier sent to the Philippines after World War II, no, excuse me, before the end of World War II, in a, with a, in a small squad, and there were a number of these squads, I don't know how many, were sent to go out into the hills of the Philippines, 
and to conduct guerrilla warfare and collect intelligence. And his commanding officer said, do not take your own life and do not surrender. You conduct this warfare until we come for you. And so this fellow took it to heart more than any of his comrades because the war ended and leaflets were dropped by the Allied forces saying the war is over, all the all oxen free, and some read those and listened and surrendered, and others kept conducting guerrilla warfare, and the people of the Philippines, um, you know, had to defend themselves, and so gradually soldiers were killed, and and more leaflets were dropped, and, and a few more of them went home. And it got down to this one guy. This one guy. And he never believed the leaflets. And he, and he could not fathom how Japan could possibly lose the war. He said, it's just not possible. And so he kept sneaking around the jungle, providing for himself, carrying on for himself, until I was a sophomore in college in 1974 for 29 years he fought a battle that was over i can't believe that i just can't believe for 29 years the only way they got him to come in was was through a a college student who who had several things on his list after college and one of them was to find this guy and to get him to come home it's a japanese i believe it was a japanese young man and, and the guy wouldn't do it, and so he went to Japan, got the guy's former commanding officer, and brought him, and then, when the commanding officer said, look, the war is over, this is what, the, this is what Hiru said. We really lost the war. How could they have been so sloppy? <laughs> Suddenly everything went black. A storm raged inside me. I felt like a fool for having been so tense and cautious on the way to this meeting. Worse than that, what had I been doing for all these years? Gradually the storm subsided, and for the first time I really understood my 30 years as a guerrilla fighter for the Japanese army were over. This was the end. I pulled the bolt back on my rifle and unloaded the bullets. I eased the pack off that I always carried. I laid the gun on top of it. Would I really have no more use for this rifle that I had polished and cared for like a baby for all these years? Had the war really ended 30 years ago? Can you imagine wasting 29 years on a wrong understanding of world events or your own past in Christ. God has forgiven. God will take care. God sees our success. He asks us to live in the present and to move toward His future for us with a heart of thanksgiving. Rejoice in the fact that God has taken care of things and give Him your glory today. Heavenly Father, Thank you for forgiving our sin. Thank you for taking care of those who have hurt us as you know what is right. Thank you for acknowledging our success 
But thank you most of all for helping us to let go of all of those things and live today and tomorrow for you in a way that honors you. Build in us a heart of thanksgiving. I pray in Christ's name, amen.